So here I am driving around the peninsula to meet with James Norcliffe. And it's a beautiful autumn morning. Another author who lives on the hills, as we say, here in Christchurch. Welcome to The Author's Tale, produced and presented by me, Stephanie Fruin. This is a series of interviews with prominent and influential New Zealand authors who have made their mark in New Zealand and overseas. They have often gone under the radar in their home country, but I believe they have contributed to our cultural history in a way that, if they were musicians, would be considered the rock stars of their genre. They are the word stars of New Zealand literature. Not wanting to focus on a particular book or work, I'm more interested in speaking with the author and their own surroundings and getting an idea of where they have come from and what has influenced their journey to date. We meet in their own home during the COVID-19 pandemic and so we keep our distance with my authors wearing a lapel mic some metres away from me, hence the less than perfect sound quality. You may hear us drinking coffee or cups of tea or other members of the house banging around and you may notice us eating a fruitcake made using my mother's recipe. She was the person who encouraged my love of a good book and great writing, so it seems fitting to include her. Today I'm driving the windy yet very scenic road that skirts around the many bays of Banks Peninsula, which sits southeast of Christchurch City in Canterbury, New Zealand. Over the years, it has drawn many artists, musicians and writers who seek solace and inspiration in its bush-clad hills. Gosh, it's just gorgeous. The view out back over towards Governor's Bay and back towards Littleton, I think it's just absolutely beautiful. What a spot to live. No wonder there's so many writers who actually live out this way, you know, or on, on these hills, taking advantage of this amazing view, this scenic outlook. It's just fabulous getting to come and visit I have to say it's a charterous bay this is where he lives and I've just got to find him today I'm meeting with one of those fabulous people author James Norcliffe James is definitely not one to blow his own trumpet so I'll do my best to do so for him right now He's an amazing poet, having written 10 collections of poetry, a novelist of short stories, junior fiction, young adult fiction, and more recently, adult fiction with the publication of his novel, The Frog Prince. He's received more than a dozen awards, including the Sir Julius Vogel Award for his fantasy novel, The Assassins of Gleam, the New Zealand Post Junior Fiction Award for The Lob Lolly Boy, the Lillian Ida Smith Award and New Zealand Poetry Society Award. He's also held several fellowships and residencies, including the Robert Burns Fellowship at Otago University, the Creative New Zealand Iowa University Fellowship and the Randall Cottage Writing Fellowship in Wellington. He's also been an educator and an active member of various writing organisations. He also helped to start the School for Young Writers here in Christchurch. Once I arrive at James's house, I meet with both him and his lovely wife June. Then James and I take ourselves off to their lounge where we sit and have a chat. We start by discussing his 10th collection of poetry, Deadpan, published in 2019 by Otago University Press. So James, like I said, I have gone through a lot of your work and 
I've got here some, I've got a list of, of questions. I was going to email you through a list of questions that I'd like to ask. And then I sat there and I thought, I can't because you've just done such a broad mm. field of work um, that the, the list of questions goes on and on and on. <laughs> so I thought, let's just take a plunge and see where we go and to yeah. see how organic this discussion you know, sort of how, how, how well we sort of get on just by having this, an organic discussion rather than a formal kind of let's do this question next kind of thing. Um, but I guess when I got, when I was reading through your, your works, I read a lot of the poetry um, and then I was read first, actually I have two first, I read that first. So I read The Frog Prince, your, your, new, your latest novel mm-hmm. first and then I took a real step back. Um, but what was interesting, looking, I always like reading what the authors write at the beginning of their books. That, um, mm-hmm. And this, in Deadpan, which is also relatively new. That's interesting because uh, Rachel Scott at Otago yeah. actually uh, wanted me to write an essay about the book and about the work and about the title, mm. um, which I'd never done before. I found that very interesting. So. Mm. So that, uh, that's how that rather lengthy uh, essay-type introduction came about. But it's fantastic hmm. because it gave a wonderful, um, you know, you could really place the poetry hmm. really well hmm. and understand it perhaps a little bit more, a little bit better, but also it gave us a greater insight into you. Yes, well, that was th- I think that's the point. I wanted want to explain the, t- the tonal quality of the poems, which is probably a mark of difference with a lot of other mm. writers around the place. And it's a, to do with this deadpan. <laughs> I was trying to fig- figure <laughs> out where that came from and I eventually I realised that it was probably my Yorkshire uh, Fokker Papa. Mm. Um, because I can remember my my family, these guys, they were always making these wry, funny comments with a very straight face and you weren't ever sure whether you were, they were joking yeah. or or um, or serious. Mostly they were joking. Yeah, you mm. say here, when I was not quite so small, perhaps nine or ten, I was kicking around with some older cousins in the Buller, mm. the district, not the river, mm-hmm. and they asked me, perhaps teasing, what I wanted to be when I grew up. Quite disingenuously, mm. rather than opting for the known qualities of coal miner, crane operator or racing car driver, I said, a poet. Rhymes with goat. <laughs> he got there. In the they did laugh, but perhaps because they were girls, they laughed at the pronunciation rather than the ambition. Mm. I think that for you to know or to have hinted at the age of nine or ten that you wanted to be a poet, mm. yeah. where did it come from? I don't know. I don't know. I don't come from a literary family. Um, I. I was always very good at writing um, at school, um, loved songs and singing, yeah. um, loved rhythm and, you know, the whole playing with words mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And I think it probably came from that. But why at that age, I'm not sure. We did get quite a bit of poetry at school. Can I ask what school did you go to on the West Coast? I went to uh, the school I went to on the west coast that no longer exists. It was Kayata School mm. on the Amoto Road, just on the way into Greymouth. But I left there at seven because my um, 
my father developed TB oh. in the Grey River Valley was cold and I was going to say they that had cold, the awful, awful wind called the Barber, which is a very very evocative name. Yeah. Uh, so he had uh, nearly two years in the sanatorium mm. over in Christchurch. Yes, up whereas, on the um, the hill. Up on the hill. Yeah. Whereas um, his parents lived in Christchurch. And they'd moved up Mount Pleasant, which was perfect because he had a lot. My grandfather had quite a lot of land, and yeah. uh, sold my father some land, and they built a house up on Mount Pleasant, which was, you know, TB, TB. It was a warm yeah. and dry, and yeah. as opposed to the thing. So, um, where do we come from? I'm, I don't know how I got to the oh schools, yes. Yeah. And then I went to Mount Pleasant School. Mm-hmm. Um, for the rest of my primary school. And that was lovely because it was actually a rural school by dint of one lamppost <laughs> <laughs> in those days. So wow. we, we, at Show Weekend, we got an extra day holiday yep. because it was a rural a school. A rural school. Yeah. Isn't that hilarious? Um, Thinking of but it was a small school too. So um, my last three years at... Uh, to use a nomenclature of the day, I was in standard four, mm-hmm. five, and six, all in the one room with the same teacher, yes. and all those three classes were together. So yeah. um, I, as you do, you listen in with all those sorts of things. And, mm. and of course, at that time, I had two or three really, really good teachers, some of whom encouraged the writing. Um, and I became known as a, as a writer, as I a suppose, writer. even then. And uh, yeah. But how wonderful that you had teachers who did that. It was, and I wasn't, the classes were small, so I think there were only 12 in my group, and um, I would have been one of the smallest, and like, you know, it's an old story, if you're you're small, um, you develop language as a weapon rather than physical prowess, so I couldn't, I couldn't, (laughs) I couldn't fit it with the big kids, but I could with language, and uh, so... Mm. language is a way of escaping mockery and bullying. <laughs> it is, and, yeah. and you say that as well, and mm. in pen is actually mm. as well. Mm. You do say that at the very beginning, don't you? You talk about it as, um, you say, it could be argued, and it has been that this deadpan manner is a defensive mechanism, mm. mechanism a distancing device. Mm. Um, and yeah, it is, but however, I think what it's done with your work is it's allowed you to broach many topics and bring them to an audience mm-hmm. that otherwise mm-hmm. wouldn't. Yes, I hope so. I mean, you can write about absolutely anything and you make observations about everyday occurrences that the rest of us would just simply allow us to wash over. Yeah. And yet you seem to be able to notice, observe, record, and basically, and then recall it in mm-hmm. a way using mm-hmm. language that for the rest of us who aren't poets um, it's almost mysterious mm. in a way mm. the whole applying poetic language to life yes there's a tension I think all, all writing is autobiographical you know, mm. you know all imaginative writing is all, yeah. everything is you can only be yourself and yeah. write from yourself what you've seen what you've experienced mm. what you've read what you what you've dreamt um, but of course, uh, there's also a huge intimacy if, in autobiographical mm-hmm. writing because you're letting people know who you really are. So fiction and creative writing allows you to pretend that it's not autobiographical. It's like an actor, I suppose. Mm-hmm. You know, they could be, they have to be themselves, yeah. but they have to assume 
all manner of other roles. And uh, so, and the further you get away from yourself and your writing, in many ways, the closer you are because. Yeah. <laughs> and it's that tension, I think, and that's very creative. Yeah. Of course. Hmm. It is. So, when you left, so you left in primary school, mm -hmm. and when you what, and then you went on to high school, obviously. Yes, yeah, so I went to Christchurch Boys High School, um, and that was quite a long trip from Mount, Mount Pleasant. Pleasant. Yeah, it would have been. Um, and I don't say I had some two or three wonderful teachers, um, but the rest of the school I, it was just too big. Yeah. Uh, from from the intimacy of mm. of um, Mount Pleasant School, where I considered myself a star, which I probably wasn't, but in, <laughs> in, in my head, uh, to that great um, uh, A three A one, three A two, three B one, three B two, three C one, three C two, three D. Yeah, and I found myself. I mean, I don't know what the intake was. Probably a uh, couple of hundred mm -hmm. kids, a boy, all boys, mm -hmm. and I felt, and I was instead of being a star, three B two, so right. right down the middle. Yes, um, and uh, so it was a bit of a bit of a blow, I suppose. And um, was the culture of the school at the time? Was it? I'm imagining sort of rugby, sporty. Yeah, you know, very, very much. much so. So how did the arts feature at that school at the time? Um, wonderful music. Uh, and uh, we had a, and a good art teacher, and, and, but I never got involved in drama. Mm. Um, I can't remember major productions, I suppose there were there. Uh, but uh, the music was wonderful, mm. and I did get in the choir. And I remember... Uh, and, and Clifton Cook, who was a strange little guy, he was a music teacher, but um, quite brilliant and passionate about music. Um. Clifton Cook was born in 1921, and he was a well-respected and long-time music and singing teacher at both St Andrews College and then Christchurch Boys High School in Christchurch. His original compositions were featured in many concerts, choral and singing competitions, and he is credited for finding some of New Zealand's finest vocal talent at the time. Um, and I like music too, but I, I was my, like, like my, my parents read, but we, we weren't a bookish club thing, but we, and they liked music, but it was, you know, 40s f music um, yeah. uh, of the popular type. Uh, I don't think they had classic, we, we didn't have records and things, no. and they didn't have, didn't like classical music. Um, and I loved it uh, when I got to high school. I remember singing. Um, he did. Uh, he did the choruses from Prince Igor uh, Borodin's uh, wonderful wow. thing. And I can remember the hair on the back of my head, go, wow. back of my neck, yeah. rising with the with this amazing sounds that I was being. I was actually part of. It was just wow. brilliant. Loved it. Yeah. But at the same time, I mean, he 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 once asked when I was in the third form or fourth form. He asked um, us to name some composers, and I put my hand up and said Chopin, because <laughs> I'd never yeah. heard the name pronounced, so no. I thought it was, I didn't know, and he thought I was taking the mickey, yeah, yeah. and uh, I don't know if he caned me, but he, I think I had to do, I was punished for it. Anyway. Oh my goodness. Oh yes, it was, <laughs> those were the days. <laughs> wow. And what about sort of literature and... You know, did you have a teacher there who was... Yes, we ha I had a couple of really good English teachers. Um, uh, three, really. One I was actually terrified of, but uh, 
but he, he encouraged my writing. And I, I was able to win uh, prizes. Um, yeah. uh, That's when you became the star. Hmm? That's when you became the star. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, no. But I, I did, I did uh, piss people off because uh, I think I was in this, what we call the upper sixth, now seventh form, no, no, it's now year 13. Um, and some of the prizes were actually competitive, so you actually set up an examination. Oh. And there were, there were set books, and one of them, I remember... Uh, Jane Austen and a, set, a list of poems and another novel by mm. Shakespeare play, I think. And then you had to do a three-hour examination, and that was for a prize. And uh, wow. and I wasn't even considered a candidate because I wasn't in the very top class. I was in the creme de la creme, <laughs> 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 and I won it. <laughs> and I also won an essay competition too, again uh, out of left field. So that was that was rather good. Well, it is good. It's also good to to think that mm -hmm. the teachers who did the judging didn't. They clearly were open minded. They didn't instantly think they. Had oh to, yes, no, you know, no, they, no, that that was right. Yes, so I don't know. I think I think they saw qualities in me that I didn't see myself. Although I did remember in the in the fifth form, um, the Christchurch Star, not the press, the Christchurch Star was a daily newspaper in those in those 60s days and it used to run a daily short story had to run a short story yeah. probably probably from uh, from England or somewhere mm. I don't know but I thought some of these were utterly pathetic <laughs> so I, I do better than that yeah so I did <laughs> good on you <laughs> sent it in and it was published brilliant and, uh, and uh, I got a real buzz. I got, I got quite a buzz too from people suddenly seeing it. And, saying, oh. and did you get paid for it? Did you win something? I can't remember. I can't remember. Because it had to be your first writing. I, they were probably yeah. just probably quite amused by the cheek of it and published it. And I didn't try it again. Uh. <laughs> it seemed... It seemed that was, yeah, that was... Apart from something that my teacher at primary school published in the PTA uh, newsletter, Yeah. that was the first time I'd been published. And so you, obviously, through high school and then you went on to university. What did you study at university? I did a double major in my BA of History and English. Um, I thought there must have been history in there somewhere, looking, yeah. at, <laughs> looking at your writing. Yeah. Uh, I didn't. I was very foolish at university. Um, in what way? Well, I should have uh, done my Master's in English. But in those days, a prerequisite was uh, eels. Or early English language studies, which was oh. going back and, and reading uh, uh, Anglo-Saxon through to Middle English and looking at Chaucer and, wow. and, and, and even before mm. um, Gawain and the Green Knight and all those sorts of things. And I went, I, I enrolled, uh, I think it was second year, second year, first year, I'm not sure, for this course. And after one lecture, it sounded, oh, this is, this is going to be a whole year of sawdust. I can't, I can't, I can't, do, I can't do this. So I, so I enrolled for political science or, or something else instead. Mm. And I had a, I had a, what they call a studentship, Division U studentship, from a, to become a teacher. And I, I always thought I'd be a journalist. Um, but uh, I thought that's an easy road to... Uh, it was wonderful days, your free education and enough money to yep. ultimately get in a flat and buy a Morris Minor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> get married. Yeah. 
Uh, so, but I did have to uh, follow their advice on courses, and uh, so, um, so I, I to, to graduate, I had to get uh, a foreign, an English. I'd, I'd done French, um, French reading, not 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 yeah. not French. I think it was all French reading anyway. But so I had to read novels and plays and poetry and French. Uh, which I quite enjoy. Yeah, and um, what and a fabulous I, skill it's I given you. I can still read, I, but my my abilities at French uh, speaking are terrible. I mean, it was a, the teaching was grammar translation in mm. those days, and yeah. my knowledge of French grammar is pretty good. But I can't speak it. I can't speak it. Okay. I can't even can't even hear it properly. When mm. I, we watch a lot of foreign movies, and, and I can get get the occasional phrase and things, and my, my knowledge of French vocabulary is huge. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> but, <laughs> but I don't speak it very well. Um, yeah, so I did in my undergraduate year, then I did Eng English and History to Stage 3, and I did a ed Education and Pol Sci and French and something else. Wow. And then I did, that limited me to, and I didn't want to, I could have done two years uh, doing um, my master's, but I did it in one year because you could do seven papers, seven three-hour papers, or I think it was four papers in the thesis, and I thought, oh, darn, that's another year. <laughs> and so I, so I got a fairly undistinguished <laughs> <laughs> MA, yeah. and then did a year at training college and then went off teaching. Teaching. Uh, pay it, to pay my five-year bond back. Um, Interesting, isn't it? Sort of what decision, and then oh, crazy, what it leads crazy. to. And of course, once once I was in teaching, I actually found I enjoyed it. And uh, and so, what what year levels were you teaching? I started. Yeah, I started. My first year was nineteen sixty nine. So that's a long time ago now. I was very young, uh, not because I'm brilliant or clever, but because I was born in March. Oh, join so, the club. I'm a March person yeah, too. So that means that you're always the youngest. That meant I was basically a year in front of everybody yeah, else. Yeah. Um, uh, so I actually had my MA at 20. Wow. Um, That's very impressive. So I graduated. Uh, I think I might have graduated yeah. in May. So I was 21 when I got the thing, but I'd done, actually yeah. done all the work and graduated at 20. Um, and your students? Who, what sort of age bracket were they? What year were you teaching? Like, were they primary schoolers? Or no, no, these are, so I, I got my first job was at Shirley Boys Shirley High. Boys. Mm. Um, fascinating staff, some wonderful people on the staff. Mm. And the English department was brilliant. I mean, mm. goodness me, they were great. We used to do the Times Educational Supplement crossword. <laughs> Everybody smoked. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah staff, the cloud of... The bathroom was an utter fug. Of, <laughs> of cigarette uh, smoke. Cigarette smoke. <laughs> That's hilarious. Pipe smoke, too. A lot of pipe pipe smokers. Um. Funny. So you <laughs> yeah. you were you were teaching English, mm. and you were teaching um, you know teenagers, mm. and so how long did you do that for before you? I mean, I'm assuming you wrote the whole. Did you carry on yes, writing throughout? Yes, I, well, I did a bit of writing at university, but I wrote writing satirical poems for um, for a little. Not Kant. There's a there's an alternative. Um, little because it's the 60s of course mm. and uh, a little alternative magazine called Kobold um, Kobold's a little Norwegian sprite or goblin and uh, a guy called Ken McPherson 
ran that with a small group, and uh, I used to write little political poems yeah. and have them every week. They were quite funny. Um, but thereafter, I mean, teaching took over, really. And I didn't do... I wrote a novel, a terrible novel. Which was? Well, it was called O Frabjus Day, and it was a sort of a... O Frabjus Day. Uh, after, after O Frabjus Day, after the... Um, Lion and Jabberwocky. <laughs> oh, Lou, oh, lay, oh, Frab, just just day. day, yeah. Yeah, or something like that. It involved uh, a cowboy-toting young woman who was uh, doing a crusade, but it was very Tom Stoppard-ish. <laughs> I, I thought it was pretty good, pretty funny. Um, but nobody else did. But Yeah, it was all sort of corduroy and... So comic novel, but um, so and did you put it out for publication at all? Or did you? Oh just yeah, I sent it all over the place, um, all typed, you know, typescript yes. and um, great type. confidence. No, sort of. I got I got some quite good uh, feedback occasionally, yeah. but, there were, but it was, you know, it had to work through a slush pile, so it was a very long process. Yeah, I didn't try it in New Zealand. I th- oh no, I did try once and. And it was going to be done. So I was going to ask you about that. Pleased it didn't yeah. get published. No, the guy called uh, what's his name? Oh, I forget his name now. He ran. He, the guy that published Bullshit and Jelly Beans. <laughs> uh, the Tim Shedbolt book. <laughs> <laughs> so it didn't get published. No, um, which I'm ever grateful. Is that? I think mm, it's just so mm, funny. Mm, mm. So funny. Okay, so that was a frab just day. Yeah, yeah. Went to back. Went back to the bottom drawer. That's right. Yes, pull that out for the odd laugh. I haven't looked at it for years. It's completely irredeemable. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to stop part one of James Norcliffe's tale there with the placement of his first attempt at being a novelist back to the bottom drawer. Join me next time when we'll start to hear about how James entered the world of poets and poetry. Thank you for listening to The Author's Tale and don't forget to subscribe or follow for free to ensure you don't miss an episode. You can do that on ACAST.com, Plains FM, Apple or Google Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you listen to. The Author's Tale is produced and presented by me, Stephanie Fruin. It's engineered at Plains FM and is made with assistance from the Christchurch City Council and Creative Community Scheme.